Um, but the thing for leaders is, you know, we, we need to think about being a little cyborg. We need to think, I, I, I want to leverage the very best of, of being human mm. and human strengths, and then also leverage the very best of technology. Mm. So if, if I can harness the power of technology for filtering big data, for monitoring for trigger events, for automating tasks and campaigns, but then inject the truly human things that actually make a difference, now we're taking the best of both. Welcome to Straight Talk, where we cut through the BS and get straight into real conversations with some of the best minds on the planet. I am your host, Af Mohotra. I am blessed to be leading these extraordinary discussions and asking tough questions that then elicit insightful answers, accelerating our awareness of the biggest issues impacting our lives and the future of humanity. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Afnil Hotra here again on Straight Talk. Now today I have uh, an extraordinary guest on my show. And like I always say, things are close to my heart, but this one really is close to my heart. I spent most of my career trying to figure out how people think, why they do what they do, how they make decisions, why do behaviors vary so much, you know, and sales was my entry point into that world. Today we have a fantastic author and actually a thought leader in this, in this field, Tony Hughes, who is the author of Tech Powered Sales, Achieved Superhuman Sales Skills. So Tony, welcome to Straight Talk. What a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, F. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. And I'm really excited to be having the conversation. Yeah, yeah, so am I. You know, it's there is so much we need to discuss over the next 60 minutes, and I'm not going to waste um even a second. I'm gonna write go right into it. When we start off straight talk, um, Tony, we, as you would probably know, we do spend a little bit of time on the person, on the author, uh, during this Inspiring Authors series. So please tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? How did you get here? How, how did you end up writing these great books? Combo prospecting at the back, I can see, uh, as well as, of course, tech-powered sales. Uh, because I think knowing who you are has a lot to do with what you've created today. So please give us a, a glimpse into your wonderful life. Yeah, I, I think to write a book, it needs to come from life experience. So uh, I was a serial entrepreneur, much like yourself, Af, uh, early in my life, uh, in my early 20s. Uh, uh, I took over a business that my father originally founded. He was a Mensa-level genius, well, wow. uh, a toolmaker, an engineer, incredibly brilliant, uh, but also bipolar and alcoholic. Right. So uh, I, I ended up leaving the bank and went to work for him. And that was a real adventure. And uh, I eventually took over the company really before I was ready to. Mm. But we uh, we achieved 85% market share for the product we manufactured uh, in the Australian market. We sold the company. Uh, we're getting royalties for 12 years as well as cash up front. And then I went to America, uh, very young and starry-eyed. I was going to become a gazillionaire by the time I was 30. <laughs> and, and, and instead of that, uh, what I got was a lot of life experience. Mm. And a big lesson I learned as an entrepreneur is that if you can't personally sell and market, and if I know a, a huge portion of your audience are business leaders and entrepreneurs. That's right. And the big lesson, big lesson for me is it's not really about having a great product and marketing. If you can't personally sell, then you're in deep trouble as a leader and an entrepreneur. So the ability to posit positively influence. So when I came back to Australia, uh, in a seven-week period, uh, these things happened. My wow. mother died of my mother died of liver cancer. Oh, my gosh. stepdad killed a guy and was on on a murder trial of all things. My sister tried to commit suicide. 
Uh, our biggest customer in America went bankrupt. They filed for Chapter 11. Uh, another big international company had air freighted our product to Japan and copied it and said, if you've got a problem with that, feel free to talk to any of our 37 lawyers in Irvine in California. Uh, our manufacturing partner in the US uh, also went bankrupt. Uh, my car got stolen, the dog got run over, and my wife left me. <laughs> uh, so, you know, when, when, when you tend to think in life, things can't get worse, what I found is they often can. Uh, but I learned resilience really often. And I know this sounds crazy. I'm telling you the story for a reason. Uh, I decided I needed to stay in Sydney because of what was happening with my family. Uh, and I couldn't go back into the same industry. We were receiving royalties for uh, another 11 years at the time. And the big lesson I learned in the USA was that if you can't personally sell, you're nowhere. And I thought, I need to go and learn to sell. So I decided I'd pursue B2B selling. And uh, radio paging, this is back in the day of radio paging, alphanumeric messaging in a pager was brand new in the marketplace. And I found a company that just, you know, they took a gamble and hired me. Mm. Uh, two, two of the sales guys later told me over a beer one night in a pub that, uh, that they'd had a bet about how long it would be before I either quit or got fired. But long story short, there are 112 reps in the company. I became the number one rep in the company within five months, then the number one rep in the industry and set records that have never been broken. I sold to IBM at 70% higher prices than they were paying the competition. And they're still a customer today, uh, nearly three decades later. So, and then I progressed from selling into sales management. I discovered in that role, you get paid at the average uh, and the reward for being promoted is a lot more work and stress uh, rather than an individual contributor. So I ended up moving up into the IT hardware industry and then the software industry, and then ended up running all of Asia Pacific for North American multinationals. So all of that life experience, um, I learned a lot about selling and I saw a lot of really bad behavior in the world of selling. For me, selling is about making a positive difference in the lives of others, both personally and professionally. If you're not a good fit, if you can't really help them, then it's not ethical to be trying to sell to them. Yeah. And my very yeah. first, my very first book is in its tenth uh, printing. It's a, been a business bestseller called The Joshua Principle, uh, but it's written as a as a true story about a sales rep that's about to get fired and gets mentored. But that's really about strategic selling. And uh, ten years ago, I left the corporate world. I went out on my own to to do uh, business consulting, sales training. And what I discovered was the big, biggest problem that organizations have is not really how to manage the complex sale. Everyone can improve, but they think they're basically okay in that area. What I discovered is the number one problem is not enough of opportunity, not enough opportunity pipeline. Mm. So I've developed methodologies and work with some of the biggest brands in the world, uh, Adobe, Salesforce, SAP. Uh, I was a, a DocuSign today working with a whole, whole bunch of their people, mm. largely around how do you create consistent quality opportunity pipeline? Yeah, beautiful. What a story. And I, I, one part of your story that resonates with me is this um, constant series of casualties in life and catastrophes yeah. that uh, at that point are horrible. They're really horrible. And then, of course, when you have time and you reflect and you think about it at some point, at some stage, you realize it kind of happened because it needed to happen. And, um, and you, because you've come through it on the other end and you're in a better place, of course, you can pontificate and you can be grateful. And so I think we're, we're, we're very fortunate. I've been through a lot of that from a health standpoint and, you know, and I've got my own story. I think those of us who come through that and are still here and on, the, on a show like this are winners to a large extent and are grateful. I think there are a lot of people who don't come through it as well. And we must acknowledge that a lot of people 
have a rough ride from there on. And, and um, our job is to actually uplift as many people as possible through the medium of, of communication in this regard. And I think what you're doing is wonderful. So thank you for sharing that. I, I want to now go into the book and of course, and then we'll go crazy and we'll go down uh, as many alleyways as we can. I have so many questions for you, of course. So tell us a bit about this book. Of course, it's a no brainer. I don't want to state the obvious. Anyone can pick up the book. In fact, they should and read it. In fact, everyone should read this book, whether you're in sales or not, tech-powered sales. It's on Amazon. Um, it's on various other channels. And why is it a necessary read, uh, Tony? Why is it an essential read for, for anyone? Well, F, the reality is, is that uh, technology and software is eating the world. It's changing everything. Uh, you know, for those who've seen uh, the latest Top Gun movie, it's an incredible film, but, you know, mm. one of the setups in the movie is that a fighter pilot's a dinosaur, and, and it's true. Uh, uh, the airframes and the abilities of the aircraft far exceed what the human body can cope with in G-forces. Uh, and if you look at, you know, whether it's the medical profession, uh, I used to be a pilot. Um, you know, there used to be a flight engineer on, mm. on large aircraft, and, and the only aircraft that still has a flight engineer is the Airbus A380. It's the only one in the world, but uh, computers do a better job of, of monitoring systems and helping save the aircraft if there's, if there's a problem than a human. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether it's law, uh, the simple process of looking at precedent for client, software and algorithms can, can, can assess risk far more effectively than anybody else. Uh, and the thing that just blew my mind is how many salespeople crazily think that they're okay because they build relationships with people. Well, you know, we all need to wake up and smell the coffee. If you look at what's happened uh, in the last three years in the world, kicked off by the pandemic, we moved to a digital first world. Uh, pe people discovered, you know, there's ways for me to get my time back. Oh, I, I can transact digitally. And, and the war now for the customer is really around customer experience. It's not really about uh, salesman or saleswomanship. <laughs> Um, uh, people aren't looking for another professional friend from the land of sales in their life. They just want right. their time back. So uh, technology is changing everything and selling is certainly not, not immune. Um, a lot of knowledge professions are, are absolutely changing and many roles are going away. So I had a look at the way, you know, technology is changing and advancing. And in some levels, AI uh, is, is overhyped. Um, you know, we're, we're really moving now into the era of general intelligence. Uh, we're just in very early stages of that. Uh, this thing of the singularity where super intelligence, a level of self-awareness within AI comes, uh, it could be 200 years off. It could be 20 or 30 years off. I, I really don't think we know. Uh, and mimicry is, is not real human intelligence. Yeah. Um, but, but if you if you define intelligence, you know, the, the ability to store and retrieve information, to remember things, to analyze data, um, you know, computers do all of these things much better than human beings. Uh, and if you think about the Turing test, um, Alan Turing, this thing of on the other end of a keyboard, would a human be able to tell they're even dealing with a computer? Well, um, computers have passed the Turing test already. It was in 1997 that IBM Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov in chess. And that's just a whole lot of brute strength what-if analysis. But then about five years later, 2011, IBM Watson beat the best Jeopardy champions in the world. And if you look at that, that's um, natural 
language and abstract contextualization. It's really tough. Yeah. And at the time, the computer that did that was the size of a giant bedroom. Now it's the size of two pizza boxes. Mm. And in 2016, um, uh, AlphaGo beat Lee Sedal, um, mm. the 18 times world champion uh, of Go, yeah. um, you know, yeah. which is a game two and a half thousand years old and uh, showed a level of human creativity in the way it played the game. And just a few years in 2018, a few years ago, uh, Google Duplex was shown on stage phoning people, having telephone conversations and booking appointments right. for an alleged client and the other human being on the other end had no idea. Mm. So it's changing really rapidly and, and I don't think sales is immune. In the book, Justin Michael, who's the co-author of the book with me, um, one of the predictions I made in the book, he made a number as well, but, but I predicted that in this decade, in the 2020s, uh, about a third of B2B salespeople will disappear. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're, you're bang on. And I think when you think about, um, and I was talking about this earlier, just before we started the show, if you think about the digital world order, as we like to call it back uh, here at uh, Straight Talk, the digital world order is a, a force and it's a convergence of many forces, of course. And it's entering yeah. the corporate world, has entered a long while ago, and it's entering and spreading almost like a tsunami across all of yeah. the functions well, you know, imagine it's a tsunami of, of all aspects of digital, the tech stacks, the applications, the servers, the mindset, the knowledge, everything that is tech related, which by the way, by the way, and you'll remember this, and I'm an ex-tech tech sales guy too, 15 or 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, tech was uncool. Anyone in tech who was hanging around coding was a geek who had headsets on or had, you know, the wired headset on. And it just wasn't a cool space. And you brought the tech person along and it was like, just sort of come along solution architect or the tech guy, just come along. I'll do all the talking, you know, just, just open your mouth when I tell you to open your mouth. And you remember this, right? And yeah. it's amazing how the tables have turned in every regard. It's cooler. It's way sexier. It pays way more. Believe it or not, you, know, you look at all of the salaries globally on you know, the tech titans, the coder jobs, software jobs, and so on. And of course, every business unit today, again, the IT poor IT director in the old days was trying to say, hey, hear me out. I can do more than just keep the lights on. And all of the other functions were like, oh, you're not allowed at the boardroom table. And of course, now it's flipped. They're called the CIOs now and the CDOs, the chief digital officers. And of course, every business unit now wants to do digital, right? Yeah. Now that sounds rosy and fantastic. I will challenge the sales, the CSO though, and I like lo- I love the fact you talk about this, the CRO and RevOps because I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, get you to talk more about it. Tell me a bit about your experience around adoption of technology. Uh, you talk about the tech stack in sales. Firstly, what does that mean? And then let's go into uh, what is working, what's not working with people actually getting what you're saying here. Well, F, maybe just to give a little anecdote. Um, yeah. Imagine for those watching or listening to this that that you're on the aero bridge waiting to board your flight. And as it gets to your turn, you step onto the threshold of the aircraft, you know, near where the galley is, uh, and the aircrew are having a look at your boarding pass. And you look to your left down into the cockpit and you over you overhear the pilot saying to the co-pilot, hey, look, I just, I love flying. I'm just not into all the tech. Now, for me, <laughs> I'll be wanting to turn around and get back off. Uh, you cannot be a good pilot. You cannot be a good pilot if you're not also really good with the tech. 
a really good friend of mine is Richard Krepney, and he was the command pilot on the worst uh, A380, Airbus A380 um, uh, failure. Uh, he was in the climb out from Singapore, about six and a half thousand feet. They had a massive inboard engine, uh, uncontained explosion. Right. Uh, had that been at altitude, uh, it would have been completely catastrophic. But he's a software engineer because um, pilots have a lot of downtime. He had a side hustle with a software business. And when he converted from Boeing into Airbus A380, he took the time to understand all of the flight law, the way the aircraft was in essence coded. So he could be a cyborg. He could be you know, man and machine working together uh, to save the aircraft and save all the passengers. Mm. Now, the mm. thing with sellers is... Most sellers bumble around in the dark with their own tech stack. You know, whether it's their ability to configure their own dashboards and reports in their CRM system, uh, whether it's their their ability or lack of ability to work with their uh, marketing automation uh, tools, uh, or whether it's their sales engagement platform, things like Outreach.io or SalesLoft or in Salesforce. uh, they've, they've, they've got automation as well. Uh, even if it's a simple thing like LinkedIn Sales Navigator to say to a person, look, show me how you use the Navigator wizard to build a Boolean search to notify you of trigger events, which help yes. you understand why there's a high propensity to buy. Mm. They, they literally have no idea. I mean, I've, I've had sellers where I'll call their, their mobile phone, their cell phone, I'll phone them. And instead of hearing their own dulcet tones, you know, uh, this is Tony. Sorry, I couldn't take your call. Instead of that, I hear some automated thing from the telco, you know, uh, with a robot giving me the number I just called saying, leave a message beep. And I go, well, did I dial the right number? Mm-hmm. Is this their voicemail? Mm-hmm. And I'll say to the seller, hey, look, it'd, it'd be more professional. And I think it would help you if you if you recorded a voicemail greeting. Oh, yeah, I haven't figured out how to do that. <laughs> and I'm thinking the phone is your most basic of tools. So. In tech-powered sales, we, we talk a lot um, about the essential stack for a seller and then the optional or the advanced stack uh, for, for a seller. Right. right. So right. there are hundreds of tools. Right. And, and when you go, let's go, back to, um, let's go back to the scenario there for a second. So two parts. The first story was about your buddy and technical knowledge and software knowledge in a highly complex environment, which is flying a plane. Yeah. yeah. And then you talked about something even more basic, which is the voicemail scenario, right? Yeah. And what what I take away from that, and I would like to spend more time on this for a second, is people. Because methodologies are great and ideas are brilliant. And you could lay the whole thing out, Tony. I mean, this is what you've done. I mean, you couldn't it couldn't get easier. You've pretty much laid out the playbook and said, listen, yeah. just read this book, just follow it, get all those tools, subscribe to them, happy days. Really, I mean, it was pretty much laid it out. Now, it's never that easy, is it, really? Because, of course, the person, the people who have to make the decisions, the people who have to adopt, uh, can be the biggest enablers or disablers. Tell us what you're going through right now. Is this a walk in the park? Like, you know, where's the book? Uh, every company is knocking on your door and you're closing them and, and you're, you know, you're thriving. I'm sure you're thriving anyway. Or are you, are you seeing people who just don't get it? And let's figure out why together. Well, if you look at large businesses or even if it's a scale-up business, mm. um, change management is always difficult. 
So any form of digital transformation initiative is difficult. And trying to change the behavior of sellers, I would argue, is the most difficult of all. Because <laughs> yes, yes. the, way, the way that a salesperson is wired is they really feel like it's, it's me and the magic of how I engage with people that helps us win business. Mm. It's me and my relationships, right, which is really all of the value. And the reality is, is those relationships belong to the company that you work for. Uh, and people aren't looking for another relationship in their life today. They're, they're just looking for a way to drive improved results. Mm. Uh, and in, increasingly, we need to provide value in conversations and real insights as a way of starting to earn engagement. Mm. So for sellers, the biggest constraint on their own success is not the available market. It's not typically product market fit. It's time. Mm. They need to apply their time where they're going to get the highest yield. So maybe if I can talk about a couple of things would maybe help those listening to this that own sure. businesses or looking to drive scale. The first thing we need absolute clarity on is product market fit and therefore our ideal customer profile, what I call our ICP. Mm -hmm. um, most people act like the whole world's a market. <laughs> if someone shows interest, they'll happily talk to them. But if we're honest about product market fit, really honest about it, and then think, well, what really defines our ideal customer profile? Uh, and, you know, where using tech well comes into play here is there's headless browser technologies out there that can sniff the, mm. the websites of organizations that can look for things in their tech stack. And I even had uh, a consulting house I was working with. Now, they don't do anything with CRM. They do no consulting around CRM at all. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, they they got the URLs of their 15 best companies worldwide. So their 15 best companies, they got the URLs mm -hmm. and they used a headless browser tech. Things like Built With would be an example of this. Mm -hmm. But they went and sniffed the sites of those 15 brands and they identified a whole lot of common attributes. And one of them was almost all of these customers, 14 out of the 15, had Salesforce. They used Salesforce. Right. I thought, well, although we don't work with CRM, we don't consult around CRM, it's interesting. that That's a technographic which indicates a willingness to invest, you know, in driving digital transformation. Correct. So yeah. they start thinking, okay, well, organizations that have made investments into platforms like Salesforce are likely to be willing to invest in the type of digital transformation services that we offer, mm -hmm. right? So they just found that as a common thing. So Thinking about our idle customer profile, the technographics, firmographics, psychographics. So, for example, you might think, well, it's companies in these industries of these sizes. Uh, they're in growth mode. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're a growing company. Uh, they're hiring for these types of roles. They've got this kind of technology footprint. They're the people we should target. Maybe there's technologies that you replace well if you're a tech seller or technologies you complement or integrate well with. The next thing, the second thing that people need to do is then get really deep into the buyer personas to whom we sell. Right. So you might, you might, you know, and it's rarely one person makes a decision. So you might yeah. think, gee, you know, we, we sell to the chief legal officer, the CHRO, the, the chief HR officer, the yeah. CFO, yeah. the CEO. You go, well, there's four buyer personas. And the conversation with each of those needs to be different. We need to speak right. to how this person's measured in their role and how they can drive improved results. And if you do your ICP analysis and definition well and honestly, and then you take the time to truly understand your buyer personas, 
now you've got a really good chance of building the right conversation narrative. Yeah. Right. You can, you can build a conversation narrative that, that, that will actually work and you can leverage tech to help you do this well. Cause once you've defined your ICP and buyer personas, you can then look for trigger events mm. and tech. There's a, there's a chapter in tech powered sales about trigger events, mm. but trigger events and referrals are really the superpower of selling. They create the shortest path and the highest probability of winning a new customer. And again, you can use technology in both of those domains to really supercharge performance. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So let me break that down. So the first is very much about segmentation uh, and the ICP. Second one is about buyer, buyer personas. Super important. This is the role, as we like to call it, the role, role-based yeah. uh, engagement and selling. And the third one you said was trigger, trigger events. And w- when you say trigger events, I assume this is when you use tech, this is some form of alert or notification of things related to that buyer profile in the ICP that yeah. will alert you of, oh, okay, Tony just won an award, okay? Or Tony is, uh, has just signed a huge partnership with IBM, for example. Is that what yes. you're referring to? Yeah, and the, yes. And, and the most powerful trigger event is a role-based trigger event. And, mm. and I'll give you an example <clears throat> of this. Yeah. Um, I once got the role of sales director of a public corporation. Um, Now, unbeknownst to me, I found this out after I joined, Mm. uh, I was the third head of sales globally in this company in three years. That tells you a lot straight away. Mm -hmm. I later discovered that my two predecessors had both separately gone to market to buy a CRM for the company. Uh, With the approval and a budget from their boss and my new boss, the CEO. On both occasions, I found this out later, on both occasions, they went through the whole process, selected a winner, took it to their boss, my new boss, the CEO, for a rubber stamp approval on both occasions. He did not approve it. Instead of approving it, he managed them out of the business, which led to me eventually being hired. So the whole CRM marketplace knows that this company is in the market for CRM. Mm-hmm. And they and when the day I joined, I updated my LinkedIn profile. The day I joined, the company issued a stock exchange announcement. They had to by law, and they issued a press release. So, Af, have a guess how many CRM salespeople phoned me in the first few weeks when I took the job. Have a guess. I, I don't know. I have. I can't even guess. Go on, tell us. The answer is zero. <laughs> not, 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 not one which is insane because all of them knew that this company needed a CRM. Now, here's the thing. The reason role-based trigger events are so powerful is a new senior person into a role has about a five-month window where their boss will back them. Correct. They're the chosen one, fair-haired, you know, child that's, (laughs) you know, that's going to save everybody. And after about five to seven months, they become another tired, broken executive sitting around the boardroom table, not delivering. So there's this window where new people into their role will get backed, Mm. right? Um, Mm. So that's the time to contact them, Mm. right? So if anybody had called me and said, hey, Tony, congratulations on the new gig. I'm not sure whether you're aware, but the business clearly needs a new CRM Mm. and your two predecessors with the approval of your new boss went to market, but on both occasions, he wouldn't approve it. Instead of that, he's, he's gotten rid of them. I've got some ideas on why it was that he would not approve it. Mm. When can we get together for coffee? You would have had your meeting in a heartbeat. I didn't want Absolutely. to be the third person to fail. 
right? But not one person contacted me. So role-based trigger events are really powerful. New people are trying to affect change. They want some quick runs on the board yeah. to build confidence and credibility with their peers and their boss. Yeah. So, so that's an example. And tech, you can configure technology to monitor for these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. What a great story. And then when you think about uh, decisions that are being made around this, you talked about your job. You know, you came in as the third sales leader. You've understood the context, the landscape, and so on and so forth. By the way, did you stay in that role for long? Yeah, I was in the role for five and a half years. Okay, so of course you did something different. And I guess you bought a CRM, whichever one you ended up buying. We did, yeah. We we, we ended up buying Salesforce. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so... Let me ask you a question about getting things done here. So uh, there, I'll, make, I'll be a little bit reductive about this whole thing. You have the sales leader in whatever job title, and then you have the person on the ground who's selling. Okay. And we're, we're not going to, so it's, it, we're not going to call them cyborg sales guys, or as you call it, or, you know, hybrids at this point, we're just the, the traditional people. Um, this can, the salespeople can change if, the sales leader and leadership is guiding them in the right way, giving them the support, the resources, clearing bureaucracy, refreshing them, reinvigorating them, bringing people like you in, and so on and so forth. Where are you seeing the bottleneck right now, truly, um, in, in these two? And you can add another dimension if you wish. Yeah, that is, that is such a great question. So there's, there's, there's been some trends in the market for some time, and it was Salesforce themselves as a business mm. in the very early 2000s uh, were the first to really industrialize the sales machine. So they they segmented roles, like the Henry Ford production line. Right. They said it doesn't make sense to have an expensive, gray-haired field seller doing the more media, menial work of segmenting lists and updating the CRM and so, for example, at Salesforce, they've got three inside sales roles. They've, in essence, got a, a junior sales role that's really a data wrangler. So they're right. building lists and getting data and everything else. They've then got what they call a sales development rep, an SDR, and they deal with inbound inquiry. Mm-hmm. They've then got an outbound inside seller called a BDR, business development rep. And the job of the SDR and the BDR is to create what they call a stage two opportunity that they can you know, basically have a qualified op and handoff mm. to a field seller called an account executive. Now, in COVID, all selling became remote selling. So right. you couldn't really get on site. And what's been interesting is those more junior inside sellers have been much better at adapting to using the tech stack, right? And uh, on average, if you look at a tech startup scale-up business, uh, they spend over $1,000 US per month per rep on tech. Right. Justin and I believe that that could go as high as $5,000 a month. Okay. So what we believe yeah. will happen is there'll be a shift in the application of capital, of working capital, away from as much on labor and more on the tech stack. So we get much higher level of productivity about from uh, more effective sellers now, for the field sellers that think, well, you know, I can take people to lunch and entertain them, and I'm good with my stories, uh, I can close the deal. Well, the reality is, uh, if you think you're the closer and you can't open, you can't open your own deals, you're not really a seller in the current age at all. So the most difficult, the most important phase of selling without doubt is opening. Mm. And the way we open determines whether we ever get to close. 
And for most big organizations, those expensive field account executives, for most organizations, those reps have to self-generate a gap of anywhere from 40% to 80% of their annual number themselves. Mm. So if they look at what they get from marketing leads, from SDR and BDR work, from partners, they've still got this big gap. So they've all got to become their own BDR or SDR and generating ops. And what I'm finding is the older sellers typically just are not as savvy and as good at using the tech. The younger sellers tend to be good with the tech, but they're not good at going deep and being as effective as they could be. So when we think about tech, um, just for those listening to this, at any point in time, on average, 3% of the market will be looking for what it is that you sell. But 40% of the market is open to change. And the problem is a lot of marketing activity and a lot of outbound selling activity is designed or by default ends up appealing to just the 3%. Strategic selling is all about uncovering the 40%. If we can engage early at senior levels and really create positive bias, toward us in what their requirements are, co-create the business case, help them secure consensus. We become the emotional favorite. Mm. Uh, and, th- and that's how you win deals and really maintain margins. Mm. Um, you show partnership rather than just say it as a cliche. Uh, so again, if you use technology well around ICP, buyer persona, trigger events, we can target and engage where we can be most effective. And we can use automation for more of that mass kind of activity to uncover the 3%. And again, you know, this, this, this role of the chief revenue officer, uh, this new discipline of RevOps, right. you know, the, op, the, oper, the operationalization, man, that's a hard word to say, of revenue <laughs> um, by really bringing sales and marketing and tech stacks together mm. and maybe giving the inside selling function over to marketing and give marketing a quota, give marketing some accountability on MQLs actually converting to revenue, marketing qualified leads converting to revenue. Correct, yeah. Uh, right, and and then force field selling to move up the value chain more. So in every business, we just need to think about how can we automate mm-hmm. and how can we deliver a better experience for our sellers and our partners and our customers because the experiences we create really determines the margins that we make. Mm-hmm. The experiences we create determines the loyalty that, that we have with staff and customers as well. And tech is such a big part of it. We've all had it in our own lives, whether it's the way we engage with our bank, that right. we go, wow, like how easy is doing banking now compared with what it used to be? And yeah. we decide to be loyal to that experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a fantastic um, analysis, actually. Thank you for sharing that. The elements of the sales leader, I'd just like you to stress on that. So now we've talked about the Salesforce example, which is a great one, of course, and they've figured it out and they do very well as, as, as a result of it. And they should, of course, because they're a sales company, they sell CRM. So God forbid if they didn't do a job. And by the way, there are CRM companies who are t- do a terrible sales job, which is a bit of an oxymoron. But anyway, talk to us about your experience with leaders and how, so you've talked about the older, the younger, the approach that works, that doesn't work, the intervention of the tech stack. And that's fine. And let's set that aside for a moment. But of course, all of these people are governed by, led by, incentivized by some leader somewhere who's a sales leader or the CSO or the rev CRO. What are you seeing in the market with the kind of demographic and the type of sales leaders? They could be enablers or they could be disablers, right? Yeah, well, (laughs) it's often said that a lot of sales enablement that goes on in businesses feels disabling for the sellers. It's like they're having a fire hose shoved in their mouth. Yeah. 
And if you look at if you look at the tech stack, a lot of them feel both bewildered and overwhelmed, you know, by mm. the amount of tech and the things that they need to learn. Mm. Uh, but again, for every seller and every leader, uh, you know, if we truly are in a profession, like mm. every pilot, for example, is an avid reader. You know, they're reading every air crash investigation report they can lay their hands on. Correct. Yeah. Because they're because they're all thinking, I don't want my life and my catastrophe to be a warning to others in life, right? I, I want to be learning from everything else that happens out there so that, so that you know, I, I can protect people and, and do a great job. And the number of sales leaders and salespeople that just say to me that they don't read, and I think you've got to be kidding me, mm. a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, a pilot, an architect, an engineer, like mm. all of these people are readers. Like you, you have to stay read. All of them stay current. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing some work with some of the biggest med tech companies in the world. And if you look at remote medicine and the way that AI is being, being applied to imaging technology, um, because AI, uh, if trained properly, so again, humans play a role in training AI well with machine learning uh, and guided learning, it can do a much better job analyzing images um, right. in the same way that tech does a better job driving a truck on a freeway you know they don't mm. take drugs to stay awake mm. they don't cheat their logbook they don't get road rage when some bad driver cuts in front of them they just they just drift back and leave space and i know tech's not perfect yet um but the thing for leaders is you know we we need to think about being a little cyborg mm. we need to think i, I, I want to leverage the very best of of being human mm. and human strengths and then also leverage the very best of technology so if, if I can harness the power of technology for filtering big data, for monitoring for trigger events, for automating tasks and campaigns, but then inject the truly human things that actually make a difference, now we're taking the best of both. Mm. But what I see, and and uh, and if I know you share my view, I see a lot of people seeking to automate in selling, and all they do is burn through a list very quickly, damage their brand. Right. for very poor results because they're, they're not doing this well. So mm. it's really up to the leader to architect, you know, to really analyze and architect what their go-to-market strategy is going to be for le for harnessing the best of technology uh, with the strengths of their people. Mm. Mm. You're spot on. The way I see what you're saying, actually, I was trying to imagine what you're saying. And I know you talk about TQ, you know, technical quotient. Yeah or technology quotient. And that's a great one because what you're in effect, I'm trying to paraphrase, okay? I, what you're saying yeah. really is the next generation, well, in fact, this generation of salespeople, B2B salespeople need to immediately and urgently have a, um, a concerted effort towards building their TQ. And that's not gonna happen overnight. It'll take time, but they have to build their TQ. Now they can build it in many ways, your approach is, of course, a viable and strong approach, and they could build their tech stack. And that'll require change management. That'll require sales leadership to say, I, I hear you, Tony, I hear you. So I'm going to build this program, and it's going to be whatever time period, six months, a year, two years, and we're going to do a major shift in the quality and the caliber of our salespeople. Now, there's some downsides to that in that some people will be let go. The legacy and the, the, the ones who haven't been able to change, that's just the way it is, right? The, I call them the dwindlers or the rigidites. 
borrowed from Luddites, which just don't change. And you you try it, but of course it's just not it's just not going to happen, right? So you have to wait for them to to exit, so you can have fresh blood coming in and a new way of thinking coming in. Um, how difficult do you think that would be for a leader uh, over the next 12, 24 months, given the state of affairs from the standpoint of the economy? The, the, we're going through a period of mass uncertainty as well, once again. So tell me a bit about how, if you were a sales leader right now, um, and not a trainer, and not a coach, and not a thought leader, and you were taking your gig on again, you know, like you're back, you're back in the old days, what would you do? Uh, just, I know it's a hard question, but like a back of a fag packet, what would you do? Well, the first thing I'd do is I would really segment the way that we go to market. So yeah. I'll, I, I, and because every business is on this productivity drive, we have to find ways to drive down the cost of acquiring customer and at the same time improving loyalty and retention and average transaction sizes. Right. So if we segment our markets well, what we don't want to do is have our expensive field sellers doing low value transactional clip the ticket style of selling. Right. But we want to focus on how do we create a great experience. So if we look at the products and services we sell and really segment them, you know, Oracle was famous for doing this many years ago. Mm. They had enterprise sales reps that were really making their numbers every year just based on selling Oracle database. And they realized that they needed to carve out Oracle database. And that was really painful. Take it away from the AEs to force them to live or die based on their ability to sell enterprise applications. It was very painful to do. Mm. Uh, if you look at the way the software as a service industry has changed the model yeah. from, the big, from the big enterprise license that funded everybody to begin small and grow, right? Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's a shared risk model with customer and seller, yeah. but they've struggled in adapting those models. So the answer to the question is segment, really think about this, this new thing called revenue operations, RevOps, yeah. and think about I need an expert in my business that's supporting me as the sales leader that can bridge the worlds of sales and marketing and look at the, the marketing and sales tech stacks and think, how can we automate in ways that, that give time back to our sellers and make them more effective Got it. in the way that they're using CRM, in the way they're using Outreach.io, in the way that they're using uh, data enrichment tools, Sales Navigator. Uh, if you've got a call center with parallel assisted dialers, you know, the ability to have, now I know you've got to let cl clients or prospects know you're recording a call. You can't sneakily do that. We need to let them know. But, you know, AI can analyze calls and ratios of talk times and, and missing buying signals, you know, for example, in calls and start coaching. Yeah. So we, yeah. Can, we can use technology to help people be far more effective. So at the end of the day, the big thing is sales leaders need to find ways to drive up sales productivity. That means more revenue from fewer people. That means make them more effective. You make them more effective by better equipping them, but just handing people tools without them knowing how to wield the sword effectively. Yeah. And, th and yeah. that's my argument with Sales Navigator. It's about $1,000 a year per person mm. for, for NAV. And most sellers just really don't understand how to use no. it. No. So often we don't need more, more, more in the tech stack for sellers. Yeah. Just if people learn how to use the two or three tools they've already got more effectively, now they're building their TQ. So we've always known that people need reasonable IQ, not super high to be successful in selling, but you can't be dumb. Mm. You definitely need high EQ, emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, but you now need this technical quotient. You need to know how to use tech well. Yeah. Because pilots, doctors, dentists, even my dentist I go and see, it's all tech. 
yeah. you know, he's taking yeah. images and he's showing me the photos and he's keeping a record of everything. And he's using technology very effectively to give me a much better experience and better value as a patient. Yeah. One of the things you said, thank you for that. One of the things you said, which is beautiful, and it's again, clicking here, which is this concept of, we talk about the concept of ambidexterity uh, in human development, right? Which is agility, flexibility, adaptiveness, whatever. Think of the pendulum going from one side to the other and just so superfluous, just, just moving as you wish. The, the, the younger generation of salespeople in SaaS companies, software companies uh, are wired, they're coded they're hard-coded to do tech because of the generational shift. They're used to tech, they're used to the apps, they're used to mobile phones, they're used to smartphones, and so on and so forth. And for them, it's not onerous. But the old school sales folk who were super successful, let's not forget, at one point, at one stage, they were heroes. They were number one on the leaderboards. They were the, they were the apex of selling now, uh, like most, have been comfortable and complacent, and time's gone by, and it's gone back at such an alarming rate. You know, you talked about the, the examples of AlphaGo and so on, you know, computers that were the size of a room now, the size of a pizza box or two pizza boxes and so on. That knowledge and that awareness has um, been forgotten or hasn't been absorbed by the legacy salespeople. So now they're stuck. They're, it's the classic, well, why should I change? And you hold on to when you're fearful. You hold on to, it's like the walking stick from yesterday. You're like, well, this should work for me. And of course it won't, you know, it won't. And I also see, and I don't know what you think about this. I, I see a conflict between the younger people or the younger sales guys, the you know, BDISTRs and the older ones who say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I've been selling for 37 years. How old are you? I'm 27. I've been selling for 30. You weren't even born, you know? And so I've seen these conversations happen. And so I, I guess what you're saying is, look, there is going to be a, a series of casualties that are coming our way um, yeah. to an extent. Is that fair to say? If it is, and it's largely around the top of funnel. Yeah. And that's where the big problem is. So, right. so the older, more experienced seller you know, has got has got some amazing human traits. So, you know, if 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 I think about the difference between where machines are strong and humans are strong, so humans are great with fun and humor and storytelling, yeah, transferring belief and building trust, um, empathy, insight, uh, politics, managing ambiguity, building emotional connection, setting a vision for a brighter future, building the business case, getting everyone on board. Now. Will machines ever do those things? Mm. No. Like they're the domain of humans. And an experienced seasoned seller with a good qualified big enterprise opportunity can apply all of those human things to progress and close the deal because they, they build confidence and trust in how they engage. Yeah. The other end of that spectrum is commoditized transactional selling, right? Um, I just bought myself two car parts recently and I phoned the car manufacturer. I was on hold for an hour. It was all annoying and frustrating. I need to get told that the parts I wanted, one part was $1,100 and there's no stock in the country. And yet on eBay, I can get the exact same thing for $26. <laughs> and I received it in four days, right? Now, so I had this human experience, an expert from the company, yeah. you know, from, yeah. from Nissan or Nissan from America. Mm. And it was just frustrating. So if we're selling a, com a commodity, we, we don't want humans there. That's not where they should be playing. 
So commodity selling, we don't need or want people. We just want a great experience, find me my stuff, make it easy. The complex selling we do, but in the top of funnel piece, what I'm seeing is the gray-haired, experienced, seasoned seller that says, hey, I know how to sell. Well, what, they, what they don't know how to do is go create an opportunity from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, they can't yeah. find a way to, to monitor for triggers and breakthrough and use all the sales intelligence tech, source people's phone numbers and email addresses directly, find where they're, you know, posting in social, you know, go and get into the orbit of the world of your prospect, mm. um, go and find a referral or, or a sort of backdoor channel in, you know, to the person. Mm. They're just unable to use the tech to do that well. And an old dog who can learn new tricks mm. uh, is awesome. Um, and the young dogs don't have all of that experience, but they're good with the tech. So I just say for top of funnel, like the older experienced salespeople, learn how to use the tech really well for top of funnel. F, just as an example, it makes my head explode. The number of sellers that I see on calls, and I'll, I'll get on a Zoom call or something, and they're sort of like this, you know, <laughs> on the thing, right? Like they've got their head ch ch chopped off, right? Yeah. Or they've got a bright window behind them with light shining in which makes all their face dark. I can't yeah. even see their face. Yeah. Uh, the, the audio sounds like they're talking into the bottom of a 44-gallon drum, right? And because they haven't figured out how to use the audio controls to select, because I've, I've got a professional microphone here that I'm using, yeah. not my laptop. Yeah. But the mo they, they don't know how to share their screen. Like they're, and you go, you've got to be kidding me. Like this is yeah. basic TQ. Like imagine you engaged a carpenter to renovate your kitchen. And they just didn't know how to sharpen the most basic tool. You go, you can't even sharpen your tools. Mm. You, you can't adjust your saw. And you want me to trust you renovating my kitchen? Mm. No, thanks. Mm. And yet so many sellers can't use their tools of trade. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. You also have to lead. You have to lead from the front as a leader as well, though, right? You can't be a leader yes. who starts doing this glorious presentation and says, hey, let me wheel in Tony. Tony, go for it, buddy. And, of course, they don't practice anything. Uh, that they preach. And that is, that is a problem in itself. And does, it does happen, by the way. Oh, I see it with people. They're sharing slides. And I say, hey, sorry, can, can you just go into presentation view of your slides just to yeah. get them up at full screen? Oh, how, how do you do that? You know, they're going at like, okay, are you, are you serious? Mm -hmm. Like the most basic thing in selling is being able to present. You've, you've, you know, you want to torture people with your slides and yet they can't read anything because it's all, it's all in the slide view, not the presentation view. Um, just crazy stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. F. So, yeah. you know, th those who don't embrace technology, I believe are doomed to be replaced by it. So I just encourage everybody. It's not about knowing the 1300 different things in the sales tech stack. Yeah. It's not yeah. about becoming a RevOps expert or practitioner. There will typically be someone in the business that will take that on. But we need to know what the capabilities are of a tech stack and what the elements need to be. And that's one of the things we do in the book is we talk about that essential stack, right? Those essential mm -hmm. things you really need to be able to use well. And I'd say rather than go off and learn new, you know, weird tools, learn how to use the stack your employer's already giving you masterfully. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. I want to talk to about you about uh, this concept of the gig workers and post-COVID scenarios where you've got remote working. I think you've already alluded to it. Uh, and, you know, we're laughing about this whole, you know, Zoom experience or the video call experience. And I hear you. That could be trained to some extent. You know, you could run, you know, 
the things not to do. Uh, don't be foolish salesperson or, you know, you could have a bit of a laugh about it and people could change behaviors, no doubt. And I do, I notice sometimes it takes a herd mentality. I've been on calls with clients where actually sales people on the other side who are my clients, who are all, um, have turned their videos off, you know? And it, I mean, I'm saying it repeatedly. I'm saying it would be, be lovely to see your face. It'd be, hey, listen, I, I so just for me, I just need to see your face because I don't know who I'm talking to. And you might have one reluctant person who turns it on and they turn it off because, I don't know, something else happens. I think that cadence, that behavior, the lack of um, connection they have with the video, with the technology, as opposed to if I was in their front room, they'd probably treat me like a king. They'd be like, what would you like? You know, wine, you know, coffee and biscuits and, and so on. And I'd feel so warm and they'll give me so much care. But on technology, for some reason, there's this apathy. It's like they turn off their EQ as soon as technology comes on. It's bizarre, it really is bizarre. So I think that's going to change. My question to you then related to that is um, moving, towards, moving towards actually the, the future uh, and moving towards new ways of working. So in the old days in IT, we had something called uh, bring your own device. Yeah, B-Y-O-D. Okay. And there was a time when we like, you know, in my old tech days, we'd sell the hell out of that and so on. And I just think to myself, just to be aware of, if you look at behavior, because I'm in the startup world, of course, if you look at the behavior of uh, executives and people in companies who are in sales, marketing and other jobs too, many of them have their own preferences on the tools that they have enjoyed. And I'm now I'm talking about the more experienced operators, Tony. So not the, the ones who don't get it, the ones who do get it. Yeah. Let's talk about them because they're important. You know, we can't just take them for granted just because they, they know tech and, and that's it. They actually, we need to support them so they're getting new tech, new advanced tools because they're always, always looking. You know, they're like, well, that doesn't work. I've got to put this integration in. Navigator doesn't work now. I use Zoom Info or whatever, right? So... Do you think there's, there is a scope for a more advanced way of bringing in a new age of salespeople who might be gig workers, by the way, in the future, they may not be FTEs the way we know it, where you're saying, listen, this is our preferred stack. Please try and use it if you can. And these are non-negotiables. You've got to use Gmail, you've got to use this and so on and so forth because of security and privacy and stuff. But here is where you have some choice. So if you like to use, I don't know, um, uh, let's think of something. You probably can think of, a, 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 you know, a product. Trigger. Let me, let me, let me give you yeah. an example. So, yeah. um, if 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 you look at uh, sales intelligence data, things like yeah. I'm trying to find people's email addresses and cell phone numbers. So in in North America, Zoom Info is great. Yeah, it's not it's not anywhere near as great in a place like Australia. So Trigger.ai is really good in this market. Yeah, uh, in Europe and Asia. Lucia, people yeah. often pronounce it Lusha, but Lusha. it's Lusha. Lusha, yeah. yeah, is is typically the best. It's a preferred tool of recruiters. Right. So to me, uh, if a company had a global rule, we use Zoom Info for our sales intelligence data, and you're a rep in Australia. Well, Zoom Info isn't very good out here. They mm. should be able to use Trigger.ai or maybe Lusha. Mm. Right. So they should be able to do that. Where it's all where it all needs to be balanced is that. Uh, and, and we've we've got GDPR in Europe. We've got uh, CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, in the yes. states. Yes. Uh, there's all sorts of other legislation. There's data privacy. Every company needs, needs to have a data privacy officer, where any prospect or customer has the right to be forgotten off your yes. databases to make the request. 
So data privacy is a real thing and any breach of any perceived breach of trust means the social license to operate is very much at risk for a business. Mm. So you don't want rogue sellers, you know, uh, treating it like it's their data, not the company's data and, and causing those problems. So again, I, I just think this role of revenue operations, right, where they get really good at the tech stack, how it integrates, how it works, and how everyone's trained. Um, and whether it's a BYOD environment where there's a lot of work from home, um, uh, but 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 data privacy and managing the sheer volumes of data yeah. is a is a is a big difficult frontier for organisations. Yeah, it's massively difficult. Yeah, and it's it's very easy to damage your brand and reputation in how you seek to automate outbound. I've seen lots of damage done. Mm. And I think there's one more thing I want to talk about, which is IT. So when you talk about data and privacy, and of course it has so many implications, and uh, you know you're looking at you're looking at flexibility around it, for example, then uh, to a large extent the other thing that comes to my mind is this concept of having IT and the IT organization on board. Uh, when you're making these tool-based decisions, right? Because IT generally can be seen as a blocker for large organizations where they say, oh my God, IT is now going to block it. We can't even get the coolest tools. Forget about it. I'm not using yesterday's tools and so on. So do you think, um, or are you seeing that these chief revenue officer or the sales officer and the CMO are working together with the CIO and saying, hey, listen, buddy, can we do this together? Because we're not going to be able to move the needle unless we collaborate and we get the bureaucracy fixed first. And again, that's the role of RevOps. You know, RevOps is bringing the CMO, the chief marketing officer, the chief sales officer, yeah, the chief technology technology officer or CIO in the company together around how everyone's needs are actually met. Really interestingly, F, that was how Salesforce got going because CRM systems were really the domain of IT. Right. And, you know, I don't want people that are heads of IT to hate me for saying this, but I've been a CEO mm. and I know as a CEO, I looked at IT with disdain. You know, IT were these people that just endlessly came back late on all of their deliverables and wanting more money in time. You mm. know, just they, mm. they just can't seem to deliver. Now, I know IT is in, insanely difficult, like it is difficult. It is, yeah. But that was where Salesforce got going but that, because sales leaders would say, IT is slowing us down. Here's my credit card details. You know, let's just get going using Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it was just all run in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And it was a big challenge for companies to get their head around this. For a long time, for a Salesforce rep, the CIO, the IT manager was the enemy in the sale. You know, he was the assassin or she was the assassin. And then eventually good leaders realized Actually, Salesforce is a platform for innovation, not just Salesforce, but other tech vendors as well. Yeah. It could be Adobe, for example, right? If you're looking at creating online digital experiences, mm. right? You go, well, someone like Adobe, someone like Salesforce. Now, these are platforms that help us as the IT leaders uh, drive faster, lower risk, higher secure, more highly secure innovation for the business, right? So, you know, why should IT tr- be trying to build infrastructure Mm-hmm. When you can just, you know, partner with an Adobe or a Salesforce and you get platform out of the box. Right. Now you just focus your energies on innovation instead right. of building foundations. So, yeah, it's it's about it all coming together is the reality. Right. Uh, and, and for sellers and sales leaders, 
We mustn't overcomplicate it. We need to put the customer at the heart of what we're doing. And most sellers, like you look at these sellers that don't use the tech well, and I would argue it's not about training. It's about mindset. Mm. They've got the wrong yeah. mindset. It's like it's like they don't give a crap about the experience of the other person, right? Like if, if the thing's pointing up here mm. or mm. If, if there's a bright window or if you can't understand the audio or they can't configure their voicemail, all of that is degrading the experience of my customer, mm. right? It's damaging my brand. It's showing me to be unprofessional. You know, don't, aren't I meant to care about my customer? Aren't I meant to be all about them? Yeah. Selling's hard enough as it is without having all of those technical handicaps with selling. So if people won't turn their camera on, right, well, what you know is they're not really listening. They're, they're cruising through their email inbox half listening. Mm. And the male brain does not multitask at all well. It just doesn't do it. Mm. So yeah. when I'm running sessions, I say to people, notwithstanding the fact that some of you may have legitimate bandwidth issues, like I, I understand that, but if your camera's off, you're the one I'm going to be asking questions of as we go through today. So if you want to leave it off, I'm going to be asking people with their cameras off all of the questions first before I get to the people with their cameras <laughs> off. Right? And they all come on. And they all come on. Right. And I and, and and I say, if you're not listening, you're going to be embarrassed. Yeah. So yeah. so please listen because I'm 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 they're going to be asking some questions and ask you to do some exercises. Yeah. And for those with cameras off, you'll be the first I'll be asking. Yeah. I'm going to, this is brilliant. I, we're coming to the end, but I want to ask you one or two final questions. And you touched on this before. And I feel passionately about this concept of the hybrid salesperson. And, you know, you've, of course, defined it beautifully and more articulately in your book. One element is definitely the technology. The other is what you talked about, which is you said, you know, I'm an avid reader. I find that, you know, there's this sort of lax behavior and it's not, I'm not going to segment now and say it's only the old school guys. Generally speaking, it could be a mindset issue, but this lacks behavior towards and almost complacently towards, nice. well, I, I read an article in Business Insider. That's it, really. I mean, what else do you want me to know? I know my sales process. I know everyone in the organization. They'll pick up my calls. Will they pick up your calls, Tony? Don't think so. And so that sort of attitude. I feel that those days are gone, you know, and I, I give you a great example of McKinsey or even Gartner, the organization I used to work for many years ago. I'm slightly biased because I, I used to train a lot of the salespeople there, but they do, these organizations do get the value of information and insights. Uh, one, because they sell them, but secondly, they empower their people, whether you're a consultant, you're a partner, you're an executive, you're a salesperson, you're an account director, whatever. They do make it their business to make that knowledge available and accessible and train their people on the latest trends. They say, this is what's going on in the industry. Put your hand up if you understand. Put your hands up if you are curious further. Um, reject it, accept it. That analysis, that holistic understanding of business is what takes you out of IT, which is where most people sell, into the business. Yes. Right. And this damn thing still carrying on. I mean, 15 years ago, you know, we were talking about moving from the moving from IT to the business. It's still happening. We're still having the same conversation. And so I think it takes people like you and many, many others like you and your team and your people and myself and our straight talkers to kind of come together to create a very, very powerful movement. And actually not it's a no negotiable, non-negotiable movement for all the other stuff that doesn't work. Say, uh-uh. That just, you know, we're point blank. It doesn't work. No more diplomacy. You know, I like your way of speaking. I've heard one, of, one or two of your talks and you are very direct, which is actually you've got to be, this is a profession. This is a business. This is what you've got to do. And so um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I would love to ensure that we're collaborating. We're working together 
to be plugged into some of this good work you're doing. We'd like to help you to get into the companies that desperately need the help as well. Um, so my, my final point really was, how does one become smarter? How does one become more aware of uh, the segment that you're targeting? Uh, is it as simple as read more every week or have you got a hack of some sort? If it really comes down to intent, uh, if you're all about the customer and how they can drive improved results, uh, and if you've got curiosity uh, yeah. as one of your own characteristics, then I believe you're in a really good place. Um, the narcissistic blabbermouth uh, is never going to succeed in selling long-term. Uh, and we need to turn up with a worthwhile point of view on how we think someone can yeah. really drive improved results. And it's, it's yeah. researched and it's credible. And, and narrative, the conversation narrative we build, most sellers are awful at this, that they build a narrative about, uh, let me tell you about us and who we are and what mm. we do and how it works, mm. you know, and, uh, and then we can help you do these things. Um, and I'll give you an example. If, if you were, say, say you were uh, uh, selling marketing automation software, what I say is start your conversation top down with the result. Say, hey, I think there could be a way for you as CMO to drive down the cost of acquisition, the cost of acquiring a customer, right, right. and at the same time drive, drive up average order size, average basket size. Mm. Do you mind if I ask? And they go, well, well hang on, before I answer your question, how, how do you think I'd do that? Mm. So, oh, it's, a, it's around a strategy of more precise targeting where there's stronger buyer intent and then with uh, more effective personalization to create engagement. Correct. This other company we're working with were able to go from here to here. Do you mind if I ask? Mm. Right. Oh, well, uh, you know, it's like, have you, have you got any gaps, right? What, mm. what, what's your own strategy around stronger targeting and stronger personalization? Oh, well, you know, and now it leads to, oh, well, you need a platform that gives you a single view of the client. Mm. It provides, you know, insights out of all of the data. So you can pull the things that you need to, to execute that as a strategy. So it's three layers. It's result, strategy, and then what's the capability? Mm. Most sellers start at the bottom. And what they do is when they talk about their own capabilities, yeah. they create their own objections, they get compared with competition, or they get delegated down and away. So yeah. if I'm with you, we need to elevate the conversation into the C-suite by talking about the improved results. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember the old days, and in fact, I do this now in one of my businesses, uh, the, the level of knowledge that a person needs to have, even if it's not a salesperson, it could be a delivery person, it could be a solutions person the level of knowledge they need to have about the clients needs to be par excellence. And yes. you almost have to think, I describe it as the old, um, I say, imagine you were an equity analyst and a lot of people don't know what that is. So in, in the financial <laughs> world, you're an equity analyst. You look at equities, stocks that are traded, stocks. you know, yeah. and you analyze them. You look at their numbers, their balance sheets, their PLs, And now you have a holistic and granular perspective about the numbers. Absolutely. But what you're missing is all of the other things. Right. But for the purposes of, of that gig and that job, you did a wonderful job. What people now need to do is do that. And there are plenty of platforms that you can um, go on to for, for financial information. Earnings calls, for example. It's like a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer if you're selling into a company and you're not listening to the earnings call. Right. Or you're not you know, listening to the summarization of the earnings call because you can't be bothered to read through a transcript. And, you know, I think those sorts of things, along with just like you said, being curious about an industry, like so how does, if I'm selling to FedEx, so yeah. how does FedEx actually make money? 
you know, how do they actually make any money? Or do they make any money? You know, their stocks yeah. dive 25%. Why? And so yes. I guess this is also my final point to you as provocative. It's not just about everything else we're talking about. It's also about talent and hiring. We haven't even yeah. gone into hiring because, you know, you've got to hire. Let's cut some slack here. You've got to be great at hiring the right type of person. So your time to outcome, time to results is not nine months. It's not even three months. Maybe it could be three weeks if you had the right people people in the right way with the right traits and the right skills and so on. So any guidance on hiring before we close off? Same thing. IQ, don't hire dumb people. Yeah. EQ, they have to be self-aware. And I would argue as part of EQ, customer-centric, you know, rather than self-orientated. That's the big transition for a leader. Yeah. Who's the rep to, to go from being about self to about the team and others. And then TQ, like they 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 need to be savvy about what's going on. Um, and if you've got those three things in play, you, you then just create a customer-centric narrative in how you go to market and you do these things of clarity around your ICP and your buyer personas. Mm. So you're targeting where there's the highest propensity for success. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Tony. I know it's evening time for you, so I don't want to keep you between dinner, family, exactly. bottle of wine, <laughs> glass of wine, whatever it may be. And I've had a wonderful time. I'd love some feedback from you on how the experience has been for you for the last uh, 60 minutes or so. Have you enjoyed this session? Um, what can we do about it? Yeah, awesome, awesome. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Af. It was great. Real pleasure. Where can people find you? Because um, we have a lot of people who might, well, of course, they're going to go and buy your book. But uh, have you got a website or where, where do we get hold of you? Yeah, so they can connect with me in LinkedIn. So just search for Tony J. Hughes in yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. My personal speaker and publisher website, there's a lot of free content, uh, recorded podcasts, webinars, uh, is tonyhughes.com.au, tonyhughes.com.au. Okay. And my sales, my sales uh, methodology and sales training site is salesiqglobal.com. So sales we've got an e-learning program around all of these things we talked about today. So how do you solve the top of funnel problem? and create the right narrative in how you go to market. So that's uh, sales global, sorry, salesiqglobal.com. Fabulous. Great. We're going to publish all of that on our site and it's been a real honor. Thank you so much for coming on the show. The next time you launch your, uh, I'm sure you're going to write another book at some point, of course, because you've written so many fantastic books. We will absolutely get you back on the show if you're up for it. And, um, you know, may the force be with the sales force be with you, not the company, <laughs> but the sales force in general. Yeah. And uh, be well, look after yourself. And it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I'm signing off, everyone. Do click on the subscribe button when you're watching this on the bottom left or right, because we'd love you as a subscriber. All the best.